friends, it's Ann West, Executive Director of the Island Health and Wellness Foundation, and we are back with another episode of the Just for the Health of It podcast. The following is a conversation that I had with Matthew Trombley. Matthew is the Senior Executive Director at Island Nursing Home. We are continuing our discussions about the recent news that Island Nursing Home will be closing. This is actually the sixth in a series of podcasts that we're going to do with either Matthew or Rhonda Dodge, who's the president of the board of directors. We'll do these conversations over the next few weeks and try to keep the community up to date um, as well as answer listener questions, which we have a list of them for today. So as usual, nothing that we say here is intended to be any sort of medical or healthcare advice. It is for educational purposes only. So with that, welcome again, Matthew. And are there any updates that you would like to share since we last talked? Good morning and thank you as always. Uh, so any rumors or updates? Um, so as far as updates, things have been moving forward. Uh, you know, we were released by the CDC for our positive COVID that we had, um, which, uh, you know, we can go into a little bit more detail later on. Um, but we have six individuals right now that remain that we need to have confirmed placement for. Uh, we do have a Zoom meeting today with a facility that just wants to uh, introduce and meet a couple of our residents. Um, and if that goes well, we'll only have four residents remaining that will need placement. Um, we do have a number of discharges this week. Uh, in fact, we have, um, I believe, seven of them just on Thursday alone. Uh, and then we have a couple uh, on Friday uh, and throughout the week. So, um, you know, we're getting within three weeks of our, our target date. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to be as efficient as possible. Um, but we've really been lining up some good, good discharges for these individuals. And um, uh, the, the sentiments that we've been hearing from them is that um, the families are enjoying the, the placement uh, and as well as the residents. So um, certainly it's always hard having to change, you know, uh, places. I, I think it's even hard for us, uh, you know, when we all have to move, um, but we're trying to make it as easy as possible for them. Absolutely. So along those lines, um, and I, I didn't give you this question beforehand, but it just occurred to me. Um, when you transfer a resident, do you provide the transportation to the new facility? Does the <clears throat> new facility come and pick them up? Does it depend on the case? How does that work? So in nearly all cases, um, we're transporting. Uh, okay. And so Thursday, you know, we've got our bus that's going out. We've got both of our vans that are going out. Um, we'll probably take another, um, either my truck or um, another another vehicle uh, to do one of the other transports. Um, Thursday is a particularly heavy day, um, but for the most part, we can usually use the bus that we have and the two vans that we have here that are owned by the facility. Um, we have been transporting to all the facilities because we want to be able to help drop them off and help get them get them established and just again, you know, that comfort measure of of having somebody familiar with you during that journey. Um, there is, you know, a couple individuals. Um, we only have. Uh, a single individual that remains, but um, we've had a couple of individuals that do need an ambulance transport um, just because they couldn't sit in a, a wheelchair or a regular vehicle um, seat for an extended period of time and they need to be uh, on a stretcher. Um, and so those, you know, we do work with um, local contractors, whether it's our local ambulance or Northern Light um, to help transport with an ambulance in that scenario. Absolutely. Okay, thank you for clearing that up for me. And I just wanna say it really speaks to you as an administrator and the quality of person that you are um, when you said, and I'll probably end up using my truck on Thursday. So thank you for doing that, that I'm sure Absolutely. that's so meaningful. 
Um, so you had mentioned it in your update, but last week, Island Nursing Home announced that, was it two patients had tested positive for COVID? Are there any more cases at this point? Or did you say one case? I can't, I've heard two different things. Yeah, so how that broke down was we had a contract staff member that recently traveled here up the East Coast. Um, did orient, we, we tested them, you know, they were negative. Um, they did orientation uh, here in our conference room, um, tested them again, they were negative. Yeah. Uh, they came in for their first shift. Uh, so mind you, this is all a very short period of time again. Um, they came in for their first shift. Uh, they stated that they felt kind of odd uh, and that's all they, they could really kind of point it to. There was no really signs or symptoms, you know, nothing that would be classified as the CDC uh, as an area of concern. Um, presumptively, they, you know, they felt like they might have just been tired or they didn't sleep well. Um, you know, we all kind of feel that way. Um, nonetheless, we did test them again before we let them come in that evening. Um, we tested, uh, they were negative. We checked their temperature. Their temperature was, was completely fine. Um, in fact, it was almost perfect. Uh, based off of normal, you know, standards. Um, so we had no reason to sus suspect that anything was going on. Um, this person does not work uh, during the day shift. So um, the way that their hours had played out, you know, they woke up, um, you know, Sunday afternoon, still felt kind of odd, um, but they didn't have to work Sunday night. Monday woke up, you know, Monday evening, Monday afternoon, excuse me, um, still felt kind of odd and then felt kind of like they had the chills. So they, they, called and scheduled a, a test, um, which was Tuesday morning. They went and got tested and they were identified as positive. Um, so, you know, again, it, it was an, an asymptomatic staff member, you know, at that point, because again, there was nothing that would be qualified by the CDC as an area of concern. Um, and we did multiple tests with, with temperatures and they were all negative. Um, so at the time, the individual worked with a resident um, just because of how the staffing worked out. Um, this individual worked with a, 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 one of our residents that um, was already immunocompromised because of a pneumonia. Um, and so that individual was the first person to become positive um, from that interaction. Um, and because of our concern of the roommate, because the roommate was unvaccinated, we, we put both of those individuals into a quarantine state behind um, two barrier, poly barriers and full PPE to go into that area. Um, and uh, as expected, the roommate came up positive. Um, and so those are the only three positives that we've received. Um, the staff member is recovering. Um, one of the residents actually goes back to their regular unit uh, this Friday. Um, and we're just waiting for the, for the um, time to pass for the other individual because they were a few days after when they became positive, uh, kind of as expected how the nature of COVID works. So, um, we're expecting everybody to fully recover, um, you know, uh, as with anybody that's, you know, um, uh, up in, you know, ages, uh, they are at higher risk for, for challenges. Um, we did have a situation where their O2 sats dropped a little bit when we increased their oxygen, they came back up. Um, we did send them out to the hospital to get evaluated. Um, and so, you know, we're going through the proper protocols and proper processes, um, but we're expecting that everybody's going to recover and we haven't had any new positive sets. Um, you know, we actually just did testing yesterday. Everybody was negative again. Um, this is multiple, multiple times in a row now that people have been negative. We're going to test again this Thursday. Um, and then uh, we'll do one final round of testing on Monday coming up. But if everybody's negative again on Thursday and Monday, um, which 
if somebody was going to show up positive, they should have showed up positive by now. Um, but we will be cleared full completely. The facility will be cleared by next Tuesday, the 15th. That is great news. That's wonderful. And <laughs> it's, it always amazes me how much work a facility like yours who wants to do things right goes to in order to protect everyone. I mean, when you're talking about all of the PPE and having them behind barriers and all of that, um, that's complicated stuff. And it has to be put into place almost instantaneously once you find out. So that's amazing. Yeah, it certainly is. You know, it's it's a nice kind of pat on the back to the team. Um, you know, when we have our call with the CDC and the state, uh, because anytime that you have a, a quote unquote outbreak, that you have to have an outbreak meeting with the state leaders. Um, and you know, we were running down everything that we did. We had instantly put it in place, so we mitigated any concerns of it spreading. Um, and to have the state uh, epidemiologists say well, uh, I don't have anything for you guys. It sounds like you guys are right on top of this. You know, it's kind of a nice pat on the back to the, to the clinical teams um, for being so, so quick to, to put things in place and react to that, so. For sure. And um, I just want to speak to the quality of your traveling nurse. Um, I think that's amazing that she felt comfortable enough with all of you, even being new to the facility, to be able to say, I, I just don't feel right. I don't know what it is. I just don't feel right to start that awareness and that ball rolling. Um, I don't know if as a new employee, I would have had the courage to do that because I feel like sometimes we just we're like head down, we're new here, we've got to prove ourselves. Um, But it sounds like there was great communication and she was able to let you know instantaneously when things were, were not feeling right and get that taken care of. So that's great. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I certainly can echo those sentiments. I think when, you know, whenever anybody's new, we all kind of want to try to fly under the radar. Um, one thing that I really like to attribute the situation to is that, you know, here at our facility, we've never put a negative connotation to testing somebody. We've always, we've we put ourselves in a position that we have extra tests, if you will. Um, I don't think that you can have ever, ever have extra tests, but uh, in the sense of how many tests that we have, people would consider that we have extra. So we've always been very um, quick to use them you know, because it's a better, better now to check than to be sorry later. Um, and so, you know, our culture has really just been built around, um, you know, even if you just have one symptom, CDC says, you know, test if you have two, even if you have one, we're always like, you know what, let's just, let's just do a quick test because it takes a few minutes and, um, you know, it, it just, it's been a very comforted environment where nobody is kind of shunned upon because they've had to be tested or they might have a sniffle or, you know, something along those lines. Exactly. I think it's, it's obvious that you have hit that um, cautious um, and aware and also approachable line um, that's really hard sometimes, um, especially as employers, because it can be really, really difficult to approach your employer and admit sickness. I mean, obviously, uh, you and I are, are similar in age, I think, and I don't know about your experience, but I grew up in a time where it was almost like a badge of honor to show up at work sick. Um, yes. You, would, you know, you <laughs> would come in with the tea in one hand and the box of Kleenex in the other and coughing and whatever, but you were there for your shift and you were sitting at your desk and doing your work and getting it done. Um, and there's been a complete social shift in that um, just in the, in the time that we've been uh, at our careers where that is no longer acceptable. Uh, nobody should be showing up to work sick. Stay home, take care of yourself. There's nothing that any of us do uh, that's more important than other people's health. So that's 
that's been my observation, my learning point through COVID is that it's no longer a good thing to just soldier through. Yeah, no, and it's exactly that. You know, I, even before COVID, um, I used to tout how, you know, I've never missed a day of work. I've been sent home from work to the ER twice, but I, I never missed a day, you know. Um, but now, you know, it's certainly, uh, it's heavily frowned upon if you even have a slight, you know, myalgia, you know, if you have a slight muscle ache or you yep. know, anything, um, you know, we, we really are, hey, why don't, you, why don't you go home or why don't you uh, not come in? Um, and that way there you can protect yourself as well as others. So I think culturally, I think for, for our culture, I think that certainly was a, a beneficial shift um, because it will allow people to get better faster um, and stop spreading not just COVID, but any communicable disease. Absolutely. No, my favorite story, I was working at a hospital and um, I was in a staff meeting. I had been stung by a bee earlier that morning before I came to work and I am allergic to bee stings. Um, and my supervisor looked down and said, your entire leg is swelling to the point where she could see it across the room during the meeting. And she said, why are you here? And I said, because I didn't wanna miss this meeting. And so they actually sent me directly to the ER at the hospital from that meeting. Um, because of the severity of what was going on. But at the time, it was it was absolutely a badge of honor to show up, show up. in no matter what condition you were in. So yeah, maybe that's, that's one of those silver linings. Now, when you and the nursing home board let the community know of the two positive COVID cases, what was the response? You know, um, it was interesting because there wasn't uh, as much of a response as we were expecting. Uh, in fact, um, we did get a couple words of, hey, I'm sorry that you guys are going through this. You know, if you need anything, let us know. Um, obviously the papers got excited because they had something to write about again. Um, but outside of that, it was fairly quiet. Um, even from the families, you know, the families know um, we're, we're really in good communication with, with our families. Um, so, you know, the family, even the individuals that were directly affected, they're like, oh, okay, so same plan as last time, you're gonna quarantine, you guys are gonna do this and do that. And we're like, yep, yep, you know, we're gonna make sure that we follow proper protocols. And they're like, oh, okay, so um, let me know when we can start discharging again. You know, yeah. so it really, it was, and I think even the general community, and when I say community, I mean the healthcare community, um, you know, even speaking with state representatives um, and having those conversations with them, the, the conversation is much more different. It's, it's not, oh my gosh, you have COVID. It's, hey, you guys know what to do now. Is there anything else that you need from us? Um, and it's much, I don't wanna say laissez-faire, but it's much more um, less panicked, if you will, yeah. in the conversations. You know, it's, it's we, we don't know everything about it. Uh, and when I say we, again, I talk about the, the healthcare community. We certainly don't know everything about it, but I think that we know enough about it as, as, a, as a group that we, we know at least, you know, the, the basic things that you need to be putting in place to, to help with that concern. So um, certainly much less panicked this time, more of a, hey, how can we help? If you need anything, let us know. Um, and, it, you know, especially having the kind of the reassurance of having a heavily vaccinated resident population, um, you know, certainly the vaccine, again, doesn't stop you from getting it, but it heavily reduces your chances of going to the ICU or CCU. Um, and, you know, so that's kind of a, a, a nice thing to kind of to lean upon that, okay, we do have somebody that is, you know, COVID positive, but they are vaccinated. So, um, you know, we're expecting, you know, minor signs and symptoms um, and let's help them get through the, this 
absolutely. And, and I, I do think even from just a little while ago when everyone, you know, everything was new, each case, each nursing home situation, each hospital situation where COVID was found, we were all kind of building the plane as we were flying it um, because it was a new experience. On this end of it, we've been through it and we know especially with the vaccinations um, being as widespread as they are, exactly what to do and what the steps are. And I, I just, I think it makes the response um, so much more calculated and less about panic um, that it, it must feel better for you guys too from the community. Yeah, even talking with, you know, fellow administrators, um, you know, giving people heads up, you know, if we had a discharge that was planned and or, you know, them contacting us, um, the conversation very much now is, hey, sorry, I'm gonna have to hold off on the discharge or I'm gonna have to hold off on the transfer because, hey, we found out we've got two positives. So we're all in this, we'll all get through it. You know, and that's just basically the conversation that even administrator to administrator is having now of, yeah, we just went through that a couple of weeks ago. So it's your turn now. You know, exactly. So it, it's kind of just general practice now for us. The stigma of it just isn't what it was even nine months ago. So exactly. that's great. Um, now, I have a couple questions from the community to run by you this week. Um, the first one is the local newspaper ran an article a couple weeks ago about a business that you co-founded that provides a vital service to nursing homes across the country. Can you tell me more about that, where the idea came from, how it was developed? Um, just kind of give us a run through of that. Yeah, so, you know, um, it was pretty much a, a pretty ironic situation uh, to have the local paper kind of latch onto that, um, because thank you for pointing it out, that it is a very vital source of resources for long-term care facilities. Um, one that was actually created here at this facility. Uh, and so the way that the story goes is um, back when COVID had started, we were using what was called a passive screening system where we had a clipboard in our front entryway and a non-touch uh, temp uh, temporal thermometer. And we were ex essentially expecting the honesty system that people were going to temp themselves and they were going to mark down their signs or symptoms and they were going to turn their little sheet into the um, clinical care coordinator as necessary. That's what we had. We didn't have the staff. Uh, to be able to have somebody out at that door 24 hours a day to be screening people as they come in. And that was a, a pretty common system that was used by a lot of facilities because, again, just as a nation, um, we're struggling with staffing. So I had a state surveyor come in. Um, we put her through the passive screening system uh, and, you know, she checked everything out that she was here to review. Um, she didn't find any issues, but she did come and speak with me. Her and I have had a really good relationship. Um, and she said, hey, so how can you verify that somebody actually is putting down the proper temperature, putting down the proper symptoms? And I said, well, to be honest with you, I, I guess I can't. And she said, all right, well, you either get this figured out or next time I'm going to give you a deficiency when I come back. Um, which was a very common conversation that uh, yeah. the state service was having with a number of facilities across, across the state. It wasn't just ours. Um, and so I was like, oh, shoot, what are we going to do? Because right. I don't have a clinical staff member or anybody to even put out there, especially during second and third shift or even on the weekends. So in my previous business ventures, I've utilized um, Philippian uh, virtual assistants to help with uh, life insurance companies that I've owned and other businesses that I've owned. Um, and so that was just kind of a natural connection for me was to start utilizing those services again. 
Um, so I reached out to a gentleman, actually reached out to three companies. Um, and this individual, my now co-founder and business partner, was actually the first one to answer the phone call that day. Um, and so I was like, listen, here's my idea. Um, this is what I need at my medical facility, you know, and he was quite hesitant at first, um, because, you know, uh, most virtual assistant companies aren't working in healthcare. Um, there's a lot, lot more regulation, uh, and especially when you start getting into HIPAA and all of that. Um, and I was like, and I, I kept pushing him. I said, no, listen, I really need these services. This is the only way I can make this work at my building. I just don't have the staff. Let me take the liability. I will make sure that your company is all set for HIPAA and whatever. I will help you so that you can help me is essentially how that nice. kind of all started. Um, and so as we started going through, you know, we got the virtual assistants here. I started getting them HIPAA certified. We started going through the HIPAA certification processes. Um, you know, I, I helped get them training. Uh, and so the, the conversation actually started out that he was, he had asked for me to be a, um, industry principal, basically a consultant for his company, because this is an avenue that he wanted to go down um, and start working with other healthcare facilities. And so uh, during that conversation with him, I said, you know, I, I, I don't want to be that guy, but I named the company. I came up with the processes. <laughs> I came up with the HIPAA right. certifications. I don't want to just be a consultant. You know, what are your thoughts on, a, on becoming a business partner? Yeah. Um, and so him and I had a conversation about that. Um, and I said, you know what, I, I let me circle back around to my board and let me have the conversation with them. Um, and so I had the conversation with the board. The board thought at that time it was a wonderful idea, even still to this day, because, well, not only is it being used here, it's being used at multiple facilities and even in other states. Um, the conversation was just that it was not going to I'm not going, it was not going to be in a, in a position to be able to impact the work that I do here. And so um, the, the services that we use here at Island is not through my company. It's still through the original company. I don't get any financial gains from that being here at this facility. I have no control over it. Um, we wanted to make sure that there was no conflict of interest. So that's already sure. been all cleared and, and vetted. Um, my company is being used by other facilities, um, but it is the more um fine-tuned presentable version of kind of the the alpha and beta phases that we had to go through here to get the system set up um and so yes so now we are offering um resources to facilities all across the united states um to help with the medical screening because we just don't have the staff in this industry to have somebody literally sit at the front door um, 24 hours a day, because anybody that comes in your building at any time needs to be screened and needs to be screened appropriately. If not, you can be facing an immediate jeopardy tag, or it's called an IJ tag, which could be thousands of dollars of monetary penalties to the facility and or to the administrator. Um, and has put, uh, I mean, we heard about it with the facility in Lincoln. You know, they weren't screening people properly and they I mean, they had a huge outbreak and, and, and unfortunately a number of deaths. Um, and so, you know, it, it very much is a vital resource. So um, certainly I did not uh, make any comment to the newspaper uh, because I wasn't sure where they wanted to go with that story. But as it turns out, they were trying to uh, paint the, the limelight of I was putting more effort into that company than this one. Um, one thing that I have to say is that one thing that's nice about virtual assistant companies, it doesn't require any of my time. Um, on average, I put maybe an hour a month 
into, into my company. Um, other than that, we have individuals to run it. Um, you know, this is not our first company, my, myself or my business partner. Um, you know, we're both very uh, well tuned and, and experienced with that. So no, it does not take much of our time at all. Um, we're just happy to be able to offer these services so that we can help ensure that other facilities are just as protected as ours. Absolutely. Okay. So first of all, let me break that down a bit. Thank you for explaining what your business does. Um, I think that's really important, but mostly thank you for bringing that into the world because I think we forget sometimes because a lot of us work the regular eight to four thirty jobs um, that you are staffing a facility that is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So it's not just finding a warm body for eight to four thirty. Um, to screen people as they go in and out. That's every shift, every night, every weekend, um, holidays. That is just in a, we're already in a staffing crunch here on the island um, and throughout Maine and throughout the nation. Um, so finding positions or people to reliably fill these positions is difficult. Then on top of it, and maybe I'm speaking for you, but you're also putting that person or people who take those shifts in a, a hazardous position because they are coming into contact with all of these people as they're coming into the building. Um, and but then, so by having it be virtual, you're taking that risk away. I mean, it just seems like there's a lot of wins with this system, um, both for the facility and for the safety of the residents and the staff. Yeah, we, you know, it, it, one, I have to say the state surveyors love it. Good, good. You know, when, um, when the state surveyor, that particular one circled back around, she thought it was the, the coolest thing. She wanted to know how it all worked. Um, it was the same process. We've now been using it for well over a year now. Um, it's the same process that got us through our outbreak. Um, we didn't have a single missed screening. We didn't have a single individual that was positive that made it through. Um, those individuals through the screening process. Um, and so, you know, it, it is proven to be exceptionally accurate and reliable. Um, but yeah, no, I, you know, and I appreciate you saying thank you to bringing that in the world. As far as we're concerned, um, and as far as we're informed, we are the only company in the United States that actually offers those services. So we're, we're pretty excited to be able to bring that out to the market. Excellent. And as, as far as your time, um, I, I feel like that's, that's an assumption, you know, obviously we all have our work time and as long as our boards of directors and staff are happy with the product, certainly what we do in our spare time, as long as it's not a direct conflict of interest is certainly up to us. And um, I think it's amazing. It's, it's obvious that this particular industry is your calling um, because you think about it, not just, okay, this is my job and this is what I'm contracted and paid to do, but you're also thinking of creative ways to make facilities safer and more well-staffed throughout the country. So I, I definitely think that's a gift. Um, and I, I appreciate your explanation very much. Thank you. I can't wait to come try it. I have, I have yeah. not been screened by the nursing home. So I'm, I'm going to have to do that in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm really excited to try it. Now, you stated in a public meeting, <clears throat> excuse me, last week that you are not going to continue leading Island Nursing Home if it's able to reopen at some point in the future. Can you talk about what made you decide that 
And just let us know if you have any advice for this community in terms of how we can better support staffing in the future. Yeah, so, you know, that one, it was, it was, it was, it was a tough decision, you know, sure. because as you, as you had said, you know, I thoroughly enjoy what I do. Um, you know, I, I, I put a lot of effort into this industry. Um, you know, I represent the, the body of long-term care administrators, not only on a state level, but I'm also part of national um, committees and boards. Um, you know, I'm part of advisor, senior advisory boards with Mass General Hospital. And, um, you know, I really do put a lot of time into the industry. Um, you know, so I was asked uh, multiple times um, to, to stay on and to continue um, my role as, as executive director, um, should the facility open again or what that program might be like. And, you know, um, I, I've decided not to. And the reason why I've decided not to is certainly, you know, I understand that, especially being in this role, you know, there's always needing to be somebody to blame during a, during a, a tough situation. Um, and, you know, there's certainly can come a level of appreciation with that. And I think that all of us, all of us leaders, uh, certainly everything's always hindsight 2020, you know, sure. nobody can do anything perfect. I'm not ever going to say that I can do anything perfect, even with COVID. I mean, look at how much different, faster of a response that we were able to do this time. And we knew exactly what we were supposed to do, what our faults were last time and how to, how to be better. Um, sure. and that's, that's especially business, you know, business is always a moving target. Um, and we've seen it time and time again, businesses that don't change, don't grow, you know, I mean, that's why what's Sears and Roebuck, you know, right. um, but the, to the level, um, that which not all of the communities don't, you know, I don't want that to be imposed that the entire community was in this mindset or this behavior. Um, but there was certainly a large enough group that it is, uh, damaging not only to myself, but also to the fellow staff here. Sure. Um, I'm not the only one. Uh, I've got, you know, uh, part of my team here, the direct care providers, CNAs, nurses, um, are not willing to be part of island nursing after island nursing closes down. Even if something else opens up, that's island nursing. They don't want to be part of it. Um, because of the response from a, a good portion of the community or a good handful of the community even, um, I wouldn't even say 50%, but those individuals that were, were loud were loud enough um, and damaging enough. You know, um, certainly I, I don't want to paint the, the, the picture that, you know, it was an easy decision, um, but when you're confident enough with the skills and the experiences and the expertise that you have, and you're recognized by state, federal organizations and your peers and industry leaders as being an individual that is, um, of a fairly high caliber to do the job that you're doing um, and to be minimized so heavily by some individuals in the community um, and quite frank um, individuals that have never worked in this industry pertaining uh, and, and projecting themselves as experts um, it's it's not only is it discouraging but it's it's very disrespectful um, you know, long-term care industry is actually noted as the most heavily regulated industry in the United States. The second most is nuclear energy. I know I shared that on the community call the other day. Yeah. Um, and so, unfortunately, you know, we find it very appalling, um, not, not just me, but the other individuals that work in this industry, um, to have those individuals come out of the woodwork and say that they know best. 
certainly we all could have done something a little bit different. We could have communicated a little bit more differently. And, you know, I, I've actually had the conversation with a few people uh, as of recent of why, why don't you like me? And their answer yeah. is, well, well, you didn't tell us. Okay. Um, but why don't you like, like me? You know, what, what is it? Right. What is it that I did? Cause over the last three years, we've been profitable. We've been a beacon in the community. We've done our, our community barbecues. People have been glowing about us on Facebook and, and the other social media accounts about um, how we handled COVID, um, how you know, we participated with the community, um, how we were a driving force in the community. But now suddenly, because we find ourselves in a position that the entire industry is in, um, we're really the, the, the black sheep, if you will. Uh, in, in the family here on the island. Um, and so my advice for those individuals, um, and not to mention that I've actually had somebody threaten actual physical harm. Uh, oh my goodness. Um, to have that type of response uh, for anybody, it's just not necessary. You know, there's a number right. of jobs out there for, for everybody. Um, and, and, uh, that's just not a healthy way to attract individuals or re retain individuals on the island. Um, and so again, I'm no, I'm no behavioral health expert. I'm no uh, communications expert, um, but from my own perception and my own opinion, um, the, if the community wants to be able to retain high qualified individuals, um, the, the response to crisis situations or challenging situations should be one that of, of support as opposed to what did you do wrong? Um, because as of this moment, um, we, we as an as a organization um, have yet to have anybody in the community find falter to something that we actually did wrong here um, that could have mitigated this situation. Um, we've had external audits, we've had consultants, we've had reviews, we now have the task force, um, and none of those different third-party unbiased uh, reviews or, or um, insights. I mean, even during the task force meeting last night, having a 37-year experienced administrator said that this is an industry issue. Right. You know, and so that having that unbiased third-party opinion should should provide some picture um, as opposed to, you know, Matthew is the reason why the facility is failing. I certainly don't mind being the, the poster um, if somebody needs somebody to be mad at, um, but that's not going to help the community grow and it's not going to help uh, future leaders in the community um, want to be retained here. Absolutely. And I appreciate your frankness. Um, you and I have a long working relationship and I, I think I am sorry to see you go. Um, I do strongly believe that we all need to take care of ourselves mentally. Um, and I, I hope that in some ways this really helps people to think, um, especially in future situations, because there's we've talked offline, there's, there's going to be more trends coming down the pike that at one point or another impact healthcare, staffing, housing, all, all of these things on the island that really, I, I always go back to my dad um, and he would, he would say to us, just always assume that people are doing their best. And if you work from that assumption, um, 
it, it just feels so much more productive. And, and I guess I would encourage the community as we continue to go down this path and other paths, just to take a step back and try to assume that everyone's doing their best and that they have done their best. And it doesn't mean that we like the result. It doesn't mean that we're happy about how things ended up, but it takes that need to blame away and it, it helps us to work together on a solution. Because what we've come to this situation, but we've come to it all having done our best and worked our hardest. And now we can put that same effort into going forward. So um, I guess that that's what I took from what you said is that as a community, we've got to remember that what we say and how we address situation matters and it matters on a personal level and it matters in who we can get for leadership in the future um, because all of this is being observed. Absolutely. You know, and that's, and that's the thing, um, you know, I, I, I certainly appreciate that, that statement of one of the things that I've, I've even shared with my team here is nobody wakes up to come to work to say, I'm going to do a bad job today. Right. Nobody does that. I, either, either somebody truly hates their job which they wouldn't have been here for over three years if somebody truly hated their job. Um, but nobody goes to work with, you know what, today's going to be a bad day. Today, right. I'm not going to do a good job. You know, right. we, we give everything that we can every day that we go in. Some days we can give 120%. Some days we can give 90%. That's just being a human, you know, exactly. but overall things balance out that everybody gives the best that they can. Um, and the challenges that, you know, they face are, many are unrecognized by anybody else, you know, right. um, even in, even in everyday jobs, you know, every CNA that, that has been hired here, any, any staff member, I always go to orientation. I always introduce myself. I always tell them where my office is. If they need anything at all, my door is always open. But one of the things that I always say to them is I know what you do, but I don't know what you do. I know exactly what your job entails, but I'm not the one that's doing your job day in and day out. So if it is going to make your life easier to move that trash can from that side of the room to the other, and you say, hey, Matthew, let's make this a policy. Let's put that over there. Absolutely. If it's going to make your life easier, let's do it. Because right. I know that you're here to do a job. I know that particular job. I know the job description. For me to even become an administrator, we have to spend um, six months full time doing rotations with every single department, every single role before we can even state, take a state and federal exam. So I have spent time with CNAs. I have spent time transferring and helping clean and doing all of that and toileting. And um, so it's not, you know, unbeknownst to me as to what they do, but what their individual challenges are each day. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows what mine is. I don't know what yours are. I don't know what, right. you know, the gentleman working down on the pier, what challenges they're facing today. Um, and that's something that we all need to take into consideration of, you know, many decisions get made every single day and it might impact one area or one person, particularly harder than somebody else. But those decisions have to be made on a, on a grand scale of an organization. So even though it might be a win for one department, it might be extra work for, for another department. And, but that balances out over time. Um, and same thing with businesses and a community. You know, we have to make decisions based off of our facility, even though we try to assist with a greater community and how we can participate with that. Um, but there's only so much that we can 
fully impact on a grander scale. We can we have to take care of the individual organization, um, and you know the biggest conversation from from the meeting last night with um, you know one of these consultants or potential consultants was they cannot help at any level until the housing situation is fixed. Right. And that's something that I have been screaming about for the three years that I've been here. It's quite literally everything that I've been screaming about. I know it's been multiple boards now that I've been talking about it. I know the community has been talking about it for a decade at least. And that is the precipice of the problem is you can't solve the staffing issue here until we solve the housing issue. And so right. while I certainly don't mind being the, the finger to point at, I can't change an island housing issue that's been an, an issue for over a decade now. I, I've Absolutely. Dropped. Absolutely. And, and I think it, not to belabor this point too much as well, uh, from what I've observed, it, it also goes back to personalities and the fact that we all, no matter who we are, if we lead, if we have a job, we have a certain personality and um, some of us are warm and fuzzy. Some of us are more reserved. Um, it, it's just how we present and it, it really has nothing to do with our competence at our job. Um, I, I tend to be bubbly in my job. That's just how I am. It's my personality. I'm like that 24 seven. Um, but that's one thing that's really, I've noticed is that, that some people will say things like, well, Matthew's very reserved, but that's not a bad thing. That's simply your personality. And uh, we all have to kind of embrace that idea that we bring um, our own personality to whatever job we do. We don't stop being us because we're sitting at a desk um, being paid by someone else to do a job. Exactly that. I mean, everybody has their own management style. You right. Know. Um, and, and even, you know, peers that, you know, I work with in this industry, I've got a business background. I've got peers that have nursing backgrounds, social services backgrounds, like, you know, and we, we all approach our facilities in a different manner and in a, in a completely different path, but we all end up in the same final finish. You know, we've all gone right. through COVID. We've all done it differently, but we all got the same result. Exactly. You know, and, and you're not, you know, you will never find a role, especially in a leadership role where your personality is going to appease everybody, you know, right. or it's going to jive with everybody. The only thing I can say is the, the directors that report to me directly here at this facility um, that I work with every single day, day in and day out, um, I have asked for 360 evals from them. They, yeah. they get to do anonymous um, annual evals to me. I don't even know who gets to say what, but they all get to put comments on all of my evaluations. Um, and the general sentiments are that they appreciate that I'm black and white. They appreciate that I'm transparent and they appreciate that they have, if they have a problem, Matthew will address it. I'm exactly. not afraid to address things. I I'm not, you know, doesn't matter if it's part of the community, if it's a part of the facility, the problem will be solved. And so, you know, they really appreciate those, having those high expectations that I hold of them, they hold of me. And it works really well for our facility. Well, and I, those aren't just words because we just finished talking about the fact that you had a problem put in front of you by a, a state inspector about screening people at the front door. Now you could have said, 
well, figure it out, state. I mean, this this is an industry-wide problem. This is something you guys have got. If you're going to ding me, go for it. But, you know, you guys got have bigger fish to fry. But instead, it was brought to you as a problem, and you came up with a solution. So it's it's very obvious that you're solution-driven. Now, we've talked way longer than I thought we would today, but I really appreciate your time. Let's end the podcast, as we usually do, um, with the question, what can the community do to be of assistance to Island Nursing Home right now this week? Yeah, so, you know, uh, from the meeting that occurred last evening, again, with the, the, pre the presentation from the consultant, as well as the general conversations that we've all been having, um, as a community, we, we've got to solve this housing problem. Um, whether it's vacation homes that can be opened up, that can be used, whether it's people have rental homes that they could use, whether they have that apartment above their garage that hasn't been used in four years, whatever it might be, um, that needs to be solved because uh, not only is the facility impacted, but the conversations I've been having with other leaders is a number of businesses around here are being impacted. There's just no housing. Um, and well, it sounds like it's it's a long time for the facility that we have until February of 2023. That's only 15 months. Right. And you know, if we're looking at getting um, foreign permanent placement for contract staff, it can take in excess of 14 to 18 months, 12 to 18 months, you know, to get them here. Best case scenario before COVID was nine to 12 months, but we, as we all know, COVID has slowed everything down drastically. Right. So we really need to solve the housing situation now if we're going to impact the future. Okay. I really appreciate that because it gives us something tangible that we can work on. Um, I know the task force is taking this under serious consideration. And I would encourage people, um, I am happy to be the repository of information. If you have an apartment, if you have property, if you have housing ideas, go ahead and contact me. I will put my information in the show notes and I will make sure that it gets distributed to the Island Nursing Home Board, to the task force. Um, let's get this information shared and we'll see. It, it, somebody could be holding the key right now to the housing shortage on DRL Stonington, and we don't even know it. So that's, that's our task for this week. Thank you so much for your time, Matthew. Always.